ladies and gentlemen, it seems we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Thursday and you know what that means. It's time for another episode of the TopSpeed.com podcast. TopSpeed.com is your internet home for all the crazy, cool, and amazing things you ever want to see that are automotive-based, but as an engine and wheels, we like to talk about it. Hello, everyone. I am Christian Moe. I'd like to welcome you today. As always, we are joined by our editor-in-chief, Justin Coupler. Justin, say hello to all these lovely people. How you guys doing today? Back from vacation. Yes, I made it back. You're just lucky we let you back. Leaving us, leaving us for vacation. <laughs> I don't care if you're the boss. You're lucky somehow. Anyways, joining me and Justin again is Mr. Mark McNabb. Say hello, Mr. Mark. How's it going, guys? Mr. Mark is going to sound a little frumpy today. He's got a bit of an earache, so we're all going to yeah. be really, really loud to annoy him. Yeah, they were making fun of me earlier. They were like, oh, you, you can't complain now, huh? Yeah, I can. I can. I, I've got complaints. And oh, I you should have heard him. Should have heard him before we start. It's a big old laugh fest. <laughs> World's smallest violin playing. <laughs> no cares given. All right. Well, we're gonna jump right into it. But uh, first things I want to say is thank you guys again for listening. And don't forget we're on iTunes. Please, if you really, really love us, go over there, hit that little button to leave us a little review. Click the stars. That's all you have to do. Just go to iTunes and click the stars, and we have a rating. We really appreciate it. If you want to leave us a full written review, that's super awesome. I promise you, we'll all read all of them. So um, go ahead, check check that out. Don't forget iTunes, yay. Um, go Apple. Yeah. Well, iTunes, yay. Um, <laughs> Well, we're going to jump jump right into it with the Weekly Wheels this week. Um, I don't have a Weekly Wheels, unless you want to hear me talk about some of the old things that lay half decrepit in my driveway. Uh, but Mark and Justin have a few things to talk about, and uh, we're going to start with Mark, because he has something very big and very expensive. I do, um, and I have my paperwork here for it, too. Uh, I was driving the uh, 2014 Chevy Silverado High Country 1500. I, I love this truck. Um, I was really sad to see it go. I was I was almost sad to get it in my driveway because I knew that I would miss it a week later. Like that's but um, yeah, six point two liter V eight. I mean, this thing is a hoss. Um, it's the same motor that basically is in the Corvette. Um, minor a few differences, um, but four wheel drive had the locking differential. Um, had every option except for the sunroof and navigation, but it still had the big touchscreen and everything. Um, I, I really enjoyed driving it. it. It drove a lot smaller than I figured it would. Um, the high hood was a little, I guess, distracting when, like, tight maneuvers and stuff, but um, the mirrors and the, the open visibility in the back and everything lent, lended itself pretty well to um, a, a decent driving experience around town. Was that one the long bed? So, no, it was a standard bed, so it was okay. a little bit shorter, yeah. And it had the backup camera and the park sensors and stuff, and so it was quite easy to um, maneuver. Okay, yeah, the 2500 GMC HD that they brought me a couple years back was a long bed. Four-door long bed, that thing was awful to try and park anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, this truck was still a handful in a parking lot. Um, or trying to maneuver in a in a tighter spot, um, it just the turning radius. 
it was adequate, but the length of it was just gargantuan, you know. Uh, yeah. It did come with a park scissors on the front, too, that you could kind of see how close you are to the bush or the parking barrier or whatever you're pulling up to. So that, that made it really nice. Oh, yeah, I never pulled into anywhere. I backed into everywhere. Uh, that was the funniest thing is where I used to work at this hospital, I would back into the space, and um, the parking lot was, like, built up, so on the back of it, it was a very steep drop-off. So I'd back it up until the back tires hit the curb, and uh, the truck hung out, like, three feet over that, and it was still about a foot into the parking lane. Wow. Farther than all the other cars. It was wonderful. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's you had, a big truck. You had four-wheel drive version, right, I assume? Yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to take it off road, Mark? Um, I, I did, um, sort of. I found just a, uh, a, a deep sand pit and uh, just kind of not really – I just kind of circled around it a couple times. I didn't really um, get a chance to go too off-road with it. Um, but, you know, I tried out the four-wheel drive and everything like that, the locking diff. Um, so, I mean, it, it handled pretty well. It had street tires on it, but it still, I never felt it bogged down in the sand or anything like that. So it was, it was pretty impressive. Now, did it, did it ride like a truck or did it actually, are they no. starting to get better with the ride? Um, I mean, it still has the leaf springs in the back, but it, it felt really composed. Um, it never got sideways on jittery pavement or anything like that in the turn. Um, it handled really well. I was really impressed. I mean, they, they've, they've got the dampening down on the rear end of that thing pretty well. I mean, the tires were still at um, the factory PSI was 32. Um, it, it seemed perfect. It seemed perfect. Because I've been in trucks that if you hit mid-corner bumps, the thing's just going to go sideways. You know? Yeah. It's, I it's own my phones. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, this one was so composed. It really was. Um, my only complaint with the truck... Two, uh, first one, and this is, I guess, sort of a major one. If you're getting on it from a stop, first gear, second gear, and then it holds trying to go into third, and it just holds at about 5,000 RPMs, and then, like, you want it to go shift, 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 and it, it like, literally about a second or a second and a half, which is a long time when you're trying to accelerate, it just seems like it wants to hold that gear. Um now, of course, you can override it with the uh, the manual control on the gear stock, but it's still, like, I don't know why that program was set that way. Uh, I wonder if it's a towing thing. That's what I was just going to say, if it's a tow All the tow, or something. tow haul mode was off, traction control was on, uh, four-wheel drive was in auto mode. Everything was set properly for just a red light wrong, you know. And I wasn't, like, matting the pedal. It was just a maybe a half-throttle to three-quarter throttle acceleration, you know, I don't know. And it did it every time. But if I was smooth on the throttle and, you know, like grandma was in the back seat or something, it would take it nice and slow, it shifted perfectly. Hmm. And that was the only time the transmission really acted up. So it might be just this truck. It only had 4,000 miles on it, though, so I don't know. Yeah, that's not too too much. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that could have been. Though. It's, it's a strange one. Yeah, but my second complaint about the truck, and this is, it seems like almost every GM truck uh, in the last 10 years or so, if you're sitting square in the in the driver's seat, the steering wheel is actually about a half inch to an inch off to your right. And I guess it's nice if you're going to drive with your right arm, but it just seems like the whole dash and the steering wheel is just a little bit out of reach. And I have short little strangly arms, so 
I can't quite reach the radio. Like, and, and you're like partial, partial T-Rex? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> trying to reach it, you know, and I'm like trying to change the channel, but it's just way far over there. And I know the truck is a big truck, and it's meant for a guy that's like 6'5", but it just um, ergonomics was a little, little strange for a guy my size. Now, this is uh, kind of like a competitor for the Ford King Ranch, right? Correct. The high country is like the... I guess the western wear of the the Silverado, and this is a new trim level for 14. Um, had the like the saddle color seats, um, the nice uh, white stitching in it, which was really nice looking. Uh, the padded leather dash, uh, brown carpet, matching floor mats, and then the door panels were all matching as well. But it didn't have like the the ranch feel. It didn't have uh, barbed wire floor mats. It didn't have uh, cattle branding in the seats or anything like so that. So it was a little so less tacky. It was a lot less tacky than some of the competitors. Now, <laughs> yeah. granted, I kind of like that tackiness from the other trucks, but only if I lived in Texas or New Mexico or somewhere like that. Right. Well, but I mean, I mean to be to be fair, Texas buys more trucks than any other state. So true. But I mean, you know, thinking like if I lived where I live in Central Florida, I'm not going to be rolling around in like a uh, Ram Lariat Longhorn with you know. These big chrome belt buckle badges, like, you know. Yeah, it's a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's cool that uh, Chevy or that GM brought this truck to Chevy because, yeah, before there was no really high trim silver, silver Silverado. If you wanted to get like a luxury truck, you were stuck with GMC and the Denali. Denali, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, the Denali is basically the same truck, but the the uh, the, the Denali the trim is more of a it's more Escalade than King Ranch. Yeah, so so yeah, I'd be I haven't seen the uh, high high country yet, but I'd I'd be interested to take a look at the in, the inside one and see what they've done different from from the Denali's because I've been in a lot of the GMC Denali line. Yeah, so. um, basically I think it's it's pretty much the same. The leather feels really good. Um, everything it's it's really high quality. Like the fit and finish is really really um on on par. I mean it's a truck, but sticker for this thing, uh, fifty two. $1,000. That's actually a little better than I expected. Well, but you said it doesn't have the sunroof for the navigation, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the navigation, I looked up on the, you know, the Build Your Own on Chevy's website. It's only like the screen that I have is included, which already, which carries like a $700 price. If I got right. the navigation, it would be like a $900 additional price. So, I mean, when you're spending 52000 why not get the Turbo-turbo navigation, which, I mean, you could always use OnStar, but I would rather see the map on my screen. I've never used OnStar. My, I, my sister uses it religiously, and she loves it. She'll take it over her Garmin any day. <laughs> well, every time I get a GMV vehicle, I, I never think about hitting that little blue button. I did, I'm I, like, it leaves, and I go, oh, I should hit the little blue button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about it until after it left, too. I was like, you know, I should have tried that, but I... I have family members that have um, a late model uh, Chevy Traverse that has that same system, and I've saw, I've seen them use it. It worked well, and it, it had a little map inside the center display uh, in the gauges. But you know, you had to push the button, you had to talk to the OnStar service tech and tell them the address, and they had to find it, and then they had to send it to your car. I mean. They secretly want to push the button and scream, "Help! Help! I'm on fire! Help!" <laughs> and then push the button again to turn it off. <laughs> and then they would probably shut off all the electricals to your car. <laughs> 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 
Guys, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I was just kidding. My boss, Justin Cupler, told me to do it. Hey. <laughs> Oh, man. All but right. uh, anyway, the truck was really good. I, I like it. All um, right. Well, so there you go, Chevy High Country. If you guys are interested in it, uh, the my, I believe Mark's full review is now up and live. Lots yeah. of photos, stuff. Go ahead and take take a peek at it. Um, yeah, and if you have any questions, you should put those in the comments, and I'll try to answer them. See, there you go, because we're awesome people like that. I'm a, I'm a nice guy like that. Um, moving on, we have something that's less awesome but probably more interesting to 99% <laughs> of people. Um, Justin was driving a new Accord. Yes, I got the got a crack at the 2014 Honda Accord Touring, which is the top of line model, just a step above the uh, EXL. Um, and a few weeks ago, before I went on my wonderful, wonderful, hardworking vacation, I talked about the Acura TL and kind of compared the two. Um, and this thing blew the TL away, which is kind of weird because the TL is a luxury model and blah blah blah. But this thing had every single option I could ever want on a midsize sub-luxury sedan. And you had leather interior, rear-view camera, like a, I think it was a 12-speaker sound system. Um, it even had this cool little thing where when you put your uh, right turn signal on, I think it was, the screen, half the screen turned into like a blind spot monitor. So you could actually see what was in your blind spot when you're making a right-hand turn. That was kind of neat. Um, the leather was great. I was really shocked with uh, how comfortable it was because typically Hondas and, and other Japanese imports with their leather is a little bit off. I know uh, years back my mom had a, a loaded out Honda Accord Coupe, and the leather always got real sticky and hot, and you, you just kind of stuck to it in the summertime. Uh, this is actually really – oh, yeah, it was wonderful. Nothing like peeling your skin off a of leather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, oh, okay. That anyway. right there is why I love cloth seats. Like everyone's like, why did you get cloth? I'm like, because leather's terrible. Yeah, like especially down here in Florida, I had a, a car with black leather, and it sits out in the sun. You get in, you're like, ah, as you're sitting down. <laughs> hey, on third degree burns. Yes, um, but back to this car. Uh, the rear seats, plenty spacey. Um, the engine's not overly powerful. It's just under 280 horsepower. It's like 276 horsepower. Um, but it really, 3.5? Yeah, 3.5 V6. Um, but it really gets up and goes. Um, it's it's tuned well. The transmission shifts just, just at the right point, so it, it accelerates nice and quickly. The ride is That's excellent. That's still old five-speed training, right? Yeah, yeah, it's still the old five-speed by my knowledge. I have to recheck I mean, it's, it's a solid model there. I mean, that's that's a good a good gearbox. Yeah, it's been around forever, and it works. I mean, why change? Just like the 3.5. It's been around forever. Why change? It works. Um, it's got plenty to get up. The only issue I really had with it is in the corners. Uh, it, it, it was a pig. Um, big, heavy sedan, a lot of body roll, very soft suspension, but that soft suspension also got you a really, really nice ride and very little noise in the cabin. So overall, um, it's a real good buy for someone that's not looking for a BMW or Mercedes but still wants all the features. It came in at about, I think it was $33,000 fully loaded. That's not um, that terrible, actually. No, it's really not. It's lower than the Acura TL. Um, so you're getting all these features, but you're not getting the badge, of course. But who needs a badge if you're just A lot of tail? people. A lot of people. But, <laughs> a but lot the average, of people. The average Joe, though, they're not going to care whether it has a Honda or a BMW badge on it. You know, they're going to say, well, this has more features than that. So for, for the average family, it's a, it's a great buy. Um, even the base level uh, Accord's not bad. I think it bases at about 23000 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think like 20, 23 6 or so. 
Yeah, something even that's not bad, but this one was an excellent buy for the price, I think. Well, so there you go. If you are married and you have 2.2 kids and you're looking for a new sedan, Mark suggests, or Justin suggests the Honda Accord. Um, I've, I've actually always kind of been a fan of the Accord in, in general. It's always one of those cars. It's not the best. It's not the sportiest. It's not the most comfortable. It, it's, it's like an 85% car. Like, it is 85% as good as any other car you want in any other feature. I mean, it's just a solid all-round car. It, they're, they're just good. Yeah, they really never have been a spectacular, oh-my-God kind of car, unless you're over in Japan and buying the SIR model from, I think it's the 90s. They made that for a while. Unless you're buying that, it's it's always been that car. It's always been the car that, hey, you know, this is good enough for me. Right. So I dig them. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to news, and uh, we're going to start with some of the best news in the entire whole wide universe world. Um, it is apparently 99-ish percent official now. Um, Jaguar is bringing a proper, real, three-pedal manual transmission to the F-Type. Also, there's going to be an all-wheel drive version, but nobody cares about that. Yeah. Three pedals and an F-Type! <laughs> that's, that's awesome. The F-Type is a, is a sickening car, and you get three pedals in that? Oh. It, it's... From the moment it was announced, I'm like, this needs to be three pedals. Because to me, it's a lot like the Cayman and the Boxster, and even something like, like the BMW Z4. Like, these are cars that are not built for all-out speed. They're cars that are built to be just fun to drive around in. I'm going to drop the top on a beautiful summer day, and I'm going to go from here to there the longest way I can figure out how to get there. Like, like that's, that's what they're for. And for that situation... Like, a manual transmission is perfect. You're not on a racetrack. You're not chasing, you know, hundreds of a second on a race course. You're not. You're going to your friend's house on some twisty road, and you're just enjoying yourself. Yeah, it gets you a lot more connected with the car. You're not just slapping a button and shifting gears. You actually get to feel what the car's doing. You're in control of it. It's just a great feeling. I mean, I love paddle shifts. Don't get me wrong. But some cars, like my, my... What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Some cars a paddle shift is great. You know, you have a big monster car, you might not want to shift the gears because you might, you know, spin the back end out. But on most cars like this, yeah, you want to be able to run through the gears and you know, hitting a corner, you want to downshift into the corners without just slapping the button. You want to control the the revs and so forth. So I see your point there, and it's an awesome addition to this car, I think. Yeah, um, I I'm really interested to see what the take rate is going to be. Um. Chances are it's not going to be that great, but I'm I'm really hoping because I mean some some cars like I think right now the take rate on the Corvette for the manual is like 48 percent. Wow, that's that's really high. It's usually like one out of five. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I think it's closing in on half. And then with the uh, new Golf, uh, Volkswagen has announced that the that the manual transmission is sticking in the new Golf, and they're expecting like a 25 percent take rate there. So I mean it's it's nice to see some of these cars still have. A generous take take rate for a three pedal manual, uh, and I'm really gonna be excited to see what the numbers are for this thing in like a, a year or so, or a year after it comes out to see what those numbers are. Um, yeah. I, I I think if Jag can stick like a 15% take rate, it'll be worth the money for them to keep doing it. And I think they're gonna I think they're gonna go beyond 15%. This is this is a manual transmission kind of car. I mean, this is just like the Corvette. People want a manual. That's what right. I think the problem is, though, is how many people who already have an F-Type are going to trade it in to buy one with a manual because a lot of people that wanted an F-Type already have an F-Type. But the thing is, some people may have turned away from the F-Type because they don't want a paddle shift. 
So when they yeah. offer one, they may take that car. They they went and bought the had the manual and said, you know what, I'm going to trade this in and move up to the F type. You some of these people to buy these cars had the money just to go, hey, you know what, I'm going to trade this in. No, I lose I lose 15 grand on it, but I want the manual. <laughs> yeah, and think about this too, Christian. You know, if 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 I bought an F type, I would have bought it when it came out. Now the manual is not going to be out for another what six months a year. Yeah, it's numbers are different. Yeah, time to trade in. Get you a newer car. Yeah, yeah that could be a two-year cycle. <laughs> I know I mean, my parents were for a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if if I I guess yeah, if if you bought it when it first came out, if you're one of the lucky few, you are at two two years. You might be interested in upgrading to a slightly newer model if it's got some new features or a little more power or something. Yeah, I'm sure that. they're gonna. I'm sure they're gonna add some other stuff in there that's gonna entice people to trade in their their uh, their automatic model for, or I'm sorry, dual clutch model for a manual. So I'm sure there's gonna be something else mixed in there. Um, it's not even a dual clutch. It's just a standard eight it's eight a, eight speed auto. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, I'm yeah, it's it's the same ZF box they put in everything. Oh wow. Okay. Um. Well, then, yeah. I'm sure they're gonna add something in there that's going to entice people to change. They're gonna swap something up a little bit just to make it a little bit better. Yeah, um, I have one of those in the Durango. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder if they're gonna spread it through the whole model range, though, because um, because oh. part of me says they're not going to. I think every Roadster is gonna get it. I really don't think they're gonna give the uh, F-Type Coupe R the manual. Really? I mean, because that goes back to the whole thing of like that one is borderline race car. Like like that's kind of what you get that one for. And so I could see them not putting the manual in that one. But again, the only transmission it has now is a standard 8-speed auto, so some track day guys might be more interested in a row-your-own than the 8-speed. Yeah, I, th I think they'd be interested in having a, in, in ruin the road. I think that 8-speed is kind of the, the sore spot form. If it fits purely that close to a race car, that has to be a sore spot for those guys. Yeah, but I mean, to me, like I said, I think the biggest fit for that is, for the manual, is like the V6S Roadster. Mid-range, 370-ish horsepower, no top, like like that right there is just screaming clutch pedal. <laughs> I'm just imagining an F-type roadster going down the road. Clutch pedal! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just oh, no, I, I want to do, <laughs> do that now. And it's like, yeah, you're driving, you're driving, you're driving, and hit your button and goes, no clutch pedal! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's move on to something else that is also super fun and super sexy and makes me super excited. Um, I believe it's Justin here wants to talk to us about some new spy shots we just got of the world's best car ever. Oh, dude. Okay. It's a new racy Cayman. Yeah, we've all pretty much we're all pretty much in agreement that the Cayman is by far Porsche's best pure racing driving car. The the mid engine rear wheel drive setup is just awesome for the turns, but they always limited it to keep it below the Porsche 911. They've always kind of sandbagged it a bit. And there's been some rumors about a GT4 or whatever the name's going to be, model coming out, a little bit more power, some more handling goodies, some brakes, but it's always been just kind of a rumor. Well, our spy guys managed to pick up a uh, one-out testing out in Germany that has the classic GT3 uh, type styling, big big rear wing, uh, a carbon yeah, carbon ceramic <laughs> brakes, uh, kind of a GTS-like body kit, and they're pegging this as the GT4. We don't know if it's going to be called that, but that's what everybody's assuming it's going to be. And we're talking some of the estimates are 400 plus horsepower. Um, God, that which, sounds so good. 
Yes, which is putting the uh, the 911, the base 911, it, it's, it's exceeding that by, I don't even I think, what, 50 horsepower. Um, and it's coming up on uh, uh, the Cayman S, or not Cayman S, the Carrera S. Um, so we're talking about a car that's going to rival the 911 within Porsche's own lineup. Um, so this not only is great news for all of us enthusiasts that get to you know see a Cayman GT4 that's as faster than a Porsche 911 with that uh, mid-rear, uh, mid-mount engine and rear-wheel drive, but this also is good news for the 911 because this means Porsche is not just going to sit back and say, well, okay, we'll let this cannibalize the 911. This means they're going to obviously push the 911 even further. Um, and some people, there are rumors about the hybrid 911 with 700 horsepower and and pushing a turbo S up over 600 and things like that. So and this is all good news for the entire Porsche lineup, from the Cayman fan to 911 fan. And then this also kind of gives us uh, a, a bit of a uh, idea of what are they going to do with the Boxster now? Might they have a GT4 Boxster? Is that possibly in the future? That'd be cool. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that this this can stem. I mean, this is this is just making us run wild right now. Well, I mean, I, I talked about something like this a little bit uh, when <clears throat> we had the announcement for the Cayman GTS, and and that was my my whole thought is hopefully Porsche is finally letting the Cayman grow a bit, and because there's nothing wrong with having a lower tier car that's better than a top tier car as long as it's like the top of the model range. And I talked about the Corvette ZL or the. Uh, uh, Camaro ZL1 or what is it? It's, yeah, the ZL1 and the uh, Corvette. Like the Camaro ZL1 is more expensive and faster, but you still have the Corvette because they're different cars for different people. And the 911 is always going to be the 911. It's got that special characteristic. It's got that look. It's got the rear seats. There are a lot of people that want a 911 for a 911, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's going to be terrible to have a base 911 that's slightly cheaper than the toppest top end of of the Cayman lineup. I, I really don't think that's going to cause many issues. Yeah, I mean, yeah that does open up more performance room for them to push the 911 farther. Yeah, and also, they're, like you said, they're completely different cars. You're talking a rear-engine car versus a mid-engine car. It, it's huge differences there. I mean, a mid-engine car handles better. It has much different driving dynamics in a, than a rear-engine car. Um, so, yeah, you have two separate cars, no rear seats. Um, so, yeah, they, there's plenty of segregation there and plenty of room for a higher output Cayman GT4 that beats the base yeah. Porsche 911, but yeah, the big the, the big thing is they're gonna possibly push the 911 further now. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and and everybody everybody wins. Everybody yeah, wins. and readers have brought up what about the Boxster GT4? Are they gonna do this with a convertible version too? Which I think would be awesome too. I don't think they will though. Yeah. I don't know because what so far it's been well, pretty much tip for tat with the with the G, with the Cayman and the Boxster. Pretty well, much. Yeah, but the GT3 of the 911 doesn't have any convertible version of it either. Right. That's that see, true. Yeah, the GT3 911 is purely like race spec. There's no back seats. It's got a roll cage in it. Like that sort of stuff is what they do to the GT3. So seeing them move that to the Cayman makes sense. I don't see them doing something kind of like that with the uh, Boxer. Now, they may give us a Boxer with that same engine, but I think it'll be like a really high-end, kind of like the Boxer Spider was, really low-volume, specialized, sort of not-really-a-top-on-it kind of car, not really a racing pedigree sort of monster like the GT3 yeah. and this Cayman GT4 might be. Yeah, that would make more sense. Good point. 
Look at me making sense. Let's let's just hope this car doesn't burst into flames every time you drive. Oh, my God. (laughs) But either way, way, this is extremely exciting, and uh, props to to Porsche for even thinking about this. Um, So it's definitely big excitement, and thank you, Volkswagen, by the way. (laughs) Thank you, VW and, and, and Porsche. Um, so uh, we're out. So like lots of great new cars coming out, but unfortunately, every time we have a great car, eventually that great car needs to die, and um, it's a sad day. But uh, we have a little bit of news about one of our favorite cars dying, and uh, that is the Cadillac CTSV. Uh, currently, the current model is going to be dead. It'll 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 be back in about a year or so, but uh, the current model is dead. And to celebrate, GM has made a very special edition version of it, and I think Mark wants wants to talk to us about that. I do. It's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's uh, 6.2 liters of awesomeness. It's supercharged too. Mm-hmm. Um, God, that LSA motor, 500 horsepower. It's basically the same motor. It's got a different supercharger on it, but it's basically the same motor that came in the um, the C6 uh, ZR1 and then the uh, Chevy Camaro uh, ZL1. So it's just, ah, uh, man, it's awesome. Um, let's see what the horsepower spec on it is. I can't 556. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be the one talking about it. <laughs> but uh, be fans. Yeah. <laughs> but oh my gosh, dude, rear wheel drive. It has three pedals on it. Uh, you can get the manual or the automatic if you want. Uh, but there's, <laughs> that's Grandma's car. Uh, but they're spicing it up a little bit for uh, for the last model you run. Uh, what they're gonna do, and it's basically. The, the CTS is an all-new car for 2014, the base one. Uh, the CTS-V, on the other hand, is going to continue in the old body style, um, and that's what they're that's what we're talking about here. They're going to spice that up for the last last run, basically. And it's going to be very low volume as well. I think they're only doing uh, 500. 500. Yeah, 500 of them uh, total. So, I mean, if you want one, they're probably already sold. Uh, but, but they're so uh, cheap! Yeah, yeah, I know, right? For for the amount of, of engine that you're getting, I mean, the car is – it has a magnetic ride control and everything too. It um, is. It is a ZR1. Like, it's a it, ZR1 with better interior, and it's 40 grand cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm telling you guys, I am not feeling well today. I cannot find the price at all. It's six, Well, the price I don't think is out yet, but we're uh, well, picking it up at 65 grand. Yeah. Okay. So, so for sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars, you can get basically a Camaro ZR1 or a Corvette ZR1 that you know is a Cadillac. I mean, what's not to like about that? Uh, it's it's just an amazing car. But um, go ahead. The only downside to this whole thing is the limited nature of it. Um, dealerships are probably going to start jacking up the price of that silly dealer amended price. They're going to tack another five grand onto this thing and push it up to about seventy thousand bucks. You know they're going to. I mean, every dealership. It'll still it. sell. It'll still <laughs> oh, sell. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah, it'll sell like that. You know, some fools will walk in and pay five grand over sticker. Yeah, um, I, I I'd be I'd, I'd be surprised if it must be more, but. Like I said, I think to be fair, Cadillac could have charged seventy-five or eighty grand for this car and it would have sold. Oh, from the from the get-go, the CTS-V has just been an amazing car. I've always been a massive fan of this thing ever since it came out. It's came out what like two thousand a year after the CTS. Two thousand six. No, no, no. Two thousand nine was the first year for the. Okay. Uh, the oh, last for the newest one. So twenty ten would be the first year. Yeah. Okay. I thought it came right after the CTS first debuted. 
Well, but there was the new one in 2010. The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 There was an old CTSV, but that one wasn't yeah, new. That, was a... that one just used a normal Corvette engine. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, just normal one. <laughs> I forgot about that one, yeah. But this one, uh, you know, like I said, they are going to doll it up a little bit. It's going to strictly come with an uh, ebony interior uh, with matching stitching or contrast stitching, uh, midnight spackle wood trim uh, that was previously offered on the uh, the black or the diamond black edition. So they're kind of taking, like, the limited edition from before and making that standard on this. But, of course, it's only limited to 500 cars anyway. So, right. um, you know, it's... Exclusive. That was my first experience with really powerful, really fast cars. Was a black edition CTSV wagon. Oh, that crazy. car literally changed my life. <laughs> that it's just got to be amazing. It. I can't imagine a better car. A CTSV wagon. No, seriously, like words cannot express it. It is the perfect car. Well, except for the fuel economy. I'll get to that in a second. It, um, it doesn't even matter. It wasn't brought to me. It was. It was uh, a friend of mine had it, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to drive it. I only got to sit in it. But sitting in this thing changed my life. We took it down to the airstrip when it used to be open, and it would break free hitting third gear. It would. It, it, it would bark catching third, um, and it was almost the same size as my Subaru Outback. But uh, it had slightly more rear legroom and slightly less space in the trunk. Yeah. But otherwise, it's a Subaru Outback-sized car with 556 horsepower, a manual transmission, and wood and leather everywhere. It was the most amazing thing. And again, yeah, it's like 65 grand. Yeah. yeah they're they're incredible cars. I mean, Cadillac really hit a home run with it, and they're smart by doing this, giving them the proper send-off. Um, and then next year when the new one comes, I think it's going to just be even more awesome because the new body has so much potential. So yeah, I think when they start adding the coupe version and the V, all the, all the styling that the V adds in, it's going to be a nice, nice car. Yeah, I've gotten to sit in one of the new ones, the new CTS, I think, of the 2014. Um, it is an amazing-looking car. Um, I don't like the dash or the, the gauge cluster, but everything else is really, really upscale, very nice. Uh, so I can't imagine what the V version of that is going to look like. And gosh, I hope they bring back the wagon. Yeah, I mean, there's there's hope. Like, the reason the wagon came the first time is because apparently with all the engineering work that went into making the standard CTS, it was some ridiculous number. Like, GM only had to sell, like, I think 12 to make back the cost it took them to make it. So, like, okay, yeah, I'm sure they've barely sold a couple hundred of these things, you know, so it, it, it's not a volume model. But when what, it comes the CTS to... CTS wagon? Well, just the wagon, the CTS wagon in general. Oh yeah, I'm sure they've only sold a couple hundred of them. I, I've seen, I've seen a few around town. Right, but the, it's not a massive model. But, but yeah, um, I, oh God, I wish I had a name to quote. But not long after the V wagon was announced, uh, one of the big rags was talking to one of the engineers, and they're like, "Yeah, we did all the math and all the budgeting stuff, and they only needed to sell. It was like less than twenty to make back the cost to create the wagon version after everything that went into making the sedan and the coupe. So like, so that's why we did it, because it wasn't going to cost us anything. Surely to God we can sell 20 of these things. So there is hope in my brain and in my heart that there will be a new one, but we'll kind of see. Um, but Cadillac Vs, Cadillac, Cadillac Vs, um, 
if I want everything that says Cadillac on it almost to have a V, but when there was one car in my head that I thought I would never really want a V version of, yeah. it would be the ELR. <laughs> what, a, what a dumb car. <laughs> I love you, Cadillac, but this is a dumb car. No, this was the most brilliant car if they would have come out with it before the Volt. Yeah, that that's what kind of killed it. When they put the Volt before the ELR, it's kind of like, but it's a Volt with a different body. <laughs> not even that different. Yeah, not not too awful much. But hey, you gotta give Cadillac a little bit of credit. You know, they release the ELR, it's and it's overinflated, outrageously enormous price tag. But that's besides the point. <clears throat> the ELR V though gives us at least a little something to get excited about. Um, sure, it still kind of looks like a redesigned warmed-over Volt with some Cadillac styling on it, but uh, we're looking at a little bit more horsepower figure out of the electric motor. Um, what they caught out testing was a model with some red calipers off the Regal GS. That kind of gave it away as a as a V model because well, why am I going to put those calipers and different brake system on ELR that does a whopping like 100 miles per hour, I think. Um, so we're going to get a couple more ponies. Uh, there's no specifics just yet. Um, what's the base ELR do? I think the base ELR has like 210 horsepower, something in that range. So they're probably going to push up around the 250 range, something like that. Nothing insane. What I think they're going to mostly focus on, though, is uh, some body work, new rims, better handling, because um, it is a, a good base of a car to work on the handling. You have the batteries down low, um, lower center of gravity, so you can really work on the handling and make this thing a much better car than what it is already. So um, that okay. Dev Sport version. <laughs> What's that? It's like an F Sport version. Hey, but, <laughs> not not much different, but the handling's good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, F Sport. Uh, never mind. I'm not gonna get on F Sport. But anyway, I, I I wonder if they're actually only gonna call it a V Sport. That is a possibility. Yeah, I was gonna jump onto that next. Uh, it's a good call. Yeah. It may well just be V Sport, um, because that's kind of the whole deal with Cadillac. They're gonna V Sport and V, uh, just like F Type or I'm sorry, F Sport and F. So maybe they're gonna take a page out of Lexus's book and make this V Sport and just make it handle better and look a little yeah. better. We don't know yet, but either way, it's a nice start for a model that's been kind of a waste of space, to be honest. Um, so it's a nice start. It gives us a little bit of excitement, and maybe Cadillac will run with it further in the future. Um, this could just be an experiment to see how well Cadillac buyers take to electri electrified cars, and maybe they'll move into more performance stuff in other cars later using this as their base. Don't really know where that's going to go, but it's a possibility. See, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see Cadillac, because Cadillac has a little bit more money to spare. You know, they have higher profit margins, so they can add more stuff to a car without charging that much more money for it without going bankrupt. Um, I would love to see them try and take this and use this to push a more performance-enhancing version of the Volt powertrain and to work on that powertrain and use potential buyers to help fund that project so that they can then push that farther down the line. Yeah, and that, that seems like the most logical route because, um, you know, the Volt needs more power. We all know that. The ELR definitely needs more power because the ELR actually looks kind of decent, kind of sporty. I think it looks like a million dollars. It's cool looking. It, it is a neat looking car. I'd have to see it in person, though, because it kind of almost looks a little bit too squashed for me. Uh, um, no, it, in person, it's it's a lot like the uh, Porsche Panamera. Looks mm -hmm. terrible in photos, looks great in real life. Yeah. I saw one ELR once, and I was like, what the? Wow, really? Because it, it looks great in person. 
Yeah, I guess it is one of those cars. That's I've heard that it looks great in person. Just every time I see it in pictures, it kind of looks just like a little frumpy. Yeah, someone just kind of pushed things together too much, and yeah, it doesn't quite look right to me. But it is a sportier look than the than the Volt. It gives people an alternative. Uh, they want the Volt, they want the Volt mileage, but they want the Cadillac name and yeah. all the features they get with it. Well, I mean, this is only a two door too, where the the Volt is a four. Yeah. <coughs> so it's got that coupe look to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the big thing is this could possibly fund more performance-oriented yeah. versions of the Volt powertrain, which is a huge deal. Um, we'll see how far that goes. If this fails, we'll never hear anything of it. But if it succeeds, then hey, we'll uh, kind of like we pat itself on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like it when when companies do that sort of stuff. Like that to me needs to be how every company runs. Because surprisingly, a lot of them don't do that. They don't take what they have and build on it to try and push into other areas. Like you know, uh, Toyota does it a little bit, but for the most part, Toyota has like it's hybrid tech, and it. I don't think it's pushed that out to nearly as many cars as it could. Like, every single car that Toyota and Lexus sells needs to have some version of that hybrid powertrain in it, and that needs to be what they do, right? Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, and, yeah, I've screamed, about that. I've screamed about that for years, about and, them and that technology. And lots of car companies don't seem to move things around, but um, it's nice to see that Cadillac might be doing it. And um, we have exciting news that uh, BMW is going to be doing that. Um, everyone knows what the i8 is. Everyone knows the i8 is super cool, apparently actually a fairly solid performer, even though it only has a teeny tiny three-cylinder engine and some batteries. But um, it looks just like the old M1 concept. And everyone's like, well, where the hell is my M1? Why do I have this glowing blue hybrid thing? And um, at the recent M3 and M4 uh, launch event, I believe it was in Spain or somewhere, um, uh, was it Auto Guide? I have to, I have uh, to check I again. Car advice. Car advice. Okay. Um, anyway, someone did an interview with the head of M, and they're like, "Hey, what's up with the i8? And um, is there ever going to be a chance that some of this i8 stuff can turn into some M stuff, like maybe an M1?" And he didn't flat out say, "Yes, there's going to be an M1." He flat out said, "We want an M1, and we can build one." But uh, what he said is, they will be moving all of that technology and stuff that they've learned over. For me, the biggest advancement in what BMW is doing with their i-series has nothing to do with hybridization. It has to do with mass production carbon fiber. So you can take a car that looks like the i8, which looks like what an M1 should look like, and it's made almost purely of carbon fiber, so it weighs about as much as my muddy boot does. If you take something that weighs about as much as a big muddy boot, and then you take maybe, let's say, the V12 out of the 7 series and a small hybrid motor, and you put that together, BMW now instantly has a McLaren P1 fighter, or a LaFerrari fighter, or a whatever-they-want-to-fight fighter. And that, I think, is the coolest thing in the world, that BMW has now said, like, the M division has told you, like, we will do this. You know, I-series technology will make it into M. And then they said the other way around. Some of the M stuff that we develop will make it into the I-series. So BMW is using all of its resources to take a car that looks like a million dollars, and hopefully they're going to make it go a million miles an hour. And then they're going to take all the million-mile-an-hour handling bits and put them back on the other cars. It's going to be, like, amazing. So much sharing going on in BMW, huh? But see, the thing with the i8, though, is they keep going back and forth and back and forth. It's, yes, there's going to be M. No, there's not going to be M. Okay, we're going to share some M. Okay, no, we're not. Okay, we're going to give it some i8 to the M, but, well, maybe we won't. 
they're they're kind of him haunting around about it, honestly. So we've done reports where they've said there's no way it's ever going to happen. Well, there's they've said there's no way they're going to make an M1 again, and that's gone back and forth. Yeah, but there is no reason that BMW can't take all of the carbon fiber man- manufacturing knowledge it's gained from the i lineup. And move it into the rest of its cars. I mean, all the M cars already use carbon fiber. If you get an M3 or an M6, whatever, they have carbon carbon fiber roofs and carbon fiber body panels. Yeah. They're already playing with carbon. <clears throat> but now they've proved that they can mass produce carbon fiber tubs, which is what an F1 car has, which is what the McLaren P1 has, like a carbon fiber monocoque. They've done that now and mass produced cars. So what happens when your next M3 weighs 600 pounds less because it has a carbon fiber monocoque? Imagine how good that M3 would be. Imagine if you had an M3 that wasn't all-wheel drive, it was still a rear-wheel drive M3, but it had a small electric motor in the front for off-the-line torque or for off-the-line speed or torque vectoring. I mean, these are kinds of things they can do with this technology as long as they're going to move it over. And, again, this is the head of M, and he's like, he didn't say there's going to be an M1, he didn't say there's going to be M versions of the i-series, but he said that technology and that knowledge, that know-how is going to be moved over to the M-series. And that's just some of the best news I could ever get. Yeah, I, mean, that, I would I would agree. I think I think the product development and the <clears throat> the expertise being shared across the board benefits everybody. It doesn't just benefit BMW or or they're just one car here. It to be able to transfer that over. I, I mean, obviously. Um, the M division can definitely benefit from electrification on the front axle, things like that. I mean, like you were saying, off-the-line torque, how cool would that be just to have an electric motor just for that, uh, or for tor- torque factoring through corners and stuff? I mean, all in the name of speed, all in the name to, to get things faster, to get it rolling. Plus, they can slap a green badge on it and say, hey, look, we're saving the universe. Hey, universe! <laughs> Yay, green cars! Captain Planet! <laughs> Oh, my God. Earth. Childhood. <laughs> Suddenly I feel really old for saying Captain Planet. Yes, and I feel very old for having remembered that. Oh. Now I have the theme song stuck in my head. Thank Captain you so Planet. much, Christian. All right. Anyways, you know what? Let's talk about the most expensive Audi in the entire universe. Uh, Mr. Mark, would you talk to me about that, please? Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so kind of in the same lines as like the CTSV coupe, uh, what we talked about, the R8 is <clears throat> on its way out. It's 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 destined to be redesigned, and so what they're going to do is they're going to make a very limited production run on the R8 as well. They're going to call it the R8 LMX. Okay, this Which is, is going, a stupid name. It, I don't I don't even. I'm sure it's got some sort of historical meaning or something for them in the past. But Le Mans anyway. extra awesome. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That's what we're gonna call it. So the the R8 Le Mans Extra Awesome is going to get the V10, but it's gonna get a forty some odd horsepower increase. It's gonna get laser uh, headlights, uh, which are just like it's freaking lasers, lasers. <laughs> and it is gonna cost a million dollars. Um, not quite that much, but close. Yeah. Close. Not, not. Well, really, it's but, not close, but for an R8, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's and especially since it's on its way out. But um, yeah, 45 extra horsepower, eight more pound-feet of torque. Uh, so that's gonna push it to uh, somewhere like 570 horsepower, 398 foot-pounds of torque. Zero to 62, 3.4 seconds. 
I mean, that's um, that that's respectable. Um, it's gonna get some carbon fiber bits on the front, uh, on the back. It's got the big wing. It's got the big carbon fiber uh, side blade on it. Everything like that. So I mean, it's gonna be a, a pretty sweet car. It's gonna be a good send off for the R8. Um, Top speed yeah. on this one's what, like 200 miles an hour now or something? 199, I think it was. 199. Oh, come on, Audi. Really? One, you couldn't give us one more? It's one listed. 198.8 is what it's listed at. Okay, so that's <laughs> okay. in kilometers per hour then is what they actually gave it in. Uh, yeah. What would that be? That would be that would be just around like 300 kilometers an hour. So I'm, I'm sure it hit a, a goal for them, but... Yeah. Now, here's my question, though, because last I knew this could have changed and I may have missed the story about it, but last I knew manufacturers were having a hard time getting the laser light technology over here through the NHTSA. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that, but they were having some, some issues with government approval. Yeah, I know BMW, the i8 in the U.S., is not going to have it this year because of the NHTSA and, and U.S. DOT. It's um, lasers! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, okay, let's just let's just say this, okay? We're the government, and we're scared of new technology. <laughs> when we say that this is going to be a very limited production car, we mean limited. There's only 99 units going to be made, uh, and the cost is going to be roughly like $300,000. So, which I think is roughly twice what an R8 is. Yeah. Wow. Extra uh, Le Mans. Extra awesome. Come awesome. <laughs> on, extra expensive. Screw that. Extra, extra awesome. <laughs> extra awesomely expensive. But just think, think, sir. You could own a piece of automotive history with our last model, R8. Yeah, or I could just go buy an old Nova, which is also a piece of automotive history, but whatever. <laughs> and a house. <laughs> and a house. And a house. I could buy 47 Novas. <laughs> and still maybe a house. Uh... All right. Anyways, well, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna move off of the Le Mans Extra Awesome before we start talking about random garbage for the next two and a half hours. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> let's let's go ahead and um, we are going to move into questions and answers. Um, again, huge thank you to everyone who's sending us questions. Um, again, if you want to send us questions, if there's anything you want to know, if you want to know about cars, want to know our suggestions for things, you want to know about us, if you want to know. How tall Justin is? I don't know. Whatever. Just That's send us questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's confident information. The government says I can't tell you. Anyways, please uh, feel free to get in contact with us. You can reach us on Twitter at Top Speed Podcast. You can email us podcast at topspeed.com, or you can hit up the comments like you guys have been doing. We love it. Uh, I read every single one of them. I comment on almost every single, or I reply to almost every single comment we get. So if you want to have a personal little message from me, go ahead and leave us a comment, and I'll chat back with you. That's I, do my best. I do my best, too, as well, but last week I was gone, so hey. Yeah, yeah, vacation, whatever. Nobody likes you. Um, anyway, so our first question comes again from Jewy21. Awesome show. Thank you. Now let's have the five non-sports cars with manual transmissions under 25,000. Now if you remember last week he wanted to know five cars under 25K with manuals and I asked him to specify. So now he wants to know five non-sports cars with a manual trans transmission and what we would choose and why. And I'm going to go ahead with the first one. My freaking Golf TDI. Boom. It's not a hot That's hatch. A it's not a sports car. But it's super fun to drive, super practical. All that torque makes it just great on a slow, twisty, twisty road. You drop a gear and you stomp on the pedal and you just move. And, you know, like 50 miles to the gallon. 
That's right. I I was kind of thinking the car, but I was like, you know, maybe maybe that's considered a sports car. But I guess since it's the GTI GTI is the hot hatch. Yeah, my diesel's not quite. It's it's like a seven and a half second zero to sixty. It's not really that sporty. That's cool. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. This is a hard one because it's like, you know, what do you pick? Do you pick like a Nissan Versa? I mean, that's definitely under twenty grand, and you can get a manual in it. It's like, I don't really recommend that car. You know, I don't know. Um, all right. Well, it's a hard, well, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard category to answer. I could say one car that I did get a chance to drive that has a five-speed. It's not quite considered a hot hatch, but some may consider it that way. Is the uh, I'm gonna sound like a homer as well here, but the uh, the Forte Five SX um, little uh, I think it's two point uh, no one point eight liter turbocharged. It's like two hundred and I think it's about two hundred and five horsepower. So really quick, great good gas mileage on the highway at least. Um, you know, it's it's no sports car. It's, it can kind of border on our hot hatch area, but it is a four door. So yeah. All right, um, Subaru XV Crosstrek. Um, uh-huh. I I, car. I am not a huge fan of. I used to be a huge fan of Subarus. My 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 Subaru love is is waning after a couple of years of bad experiences. But um, when I drove the XV Crosstrek, I freaking loved it. Like that's the only new Subaru I've driven that still feels like a Subaru. The new Impreza feels like a sort of washed up Civic. I don't like the way the automatic equipped Outback works or feels because it doesn't feel like a Subaru either. And, let me explain that real quick. Subarus were always kind of like Jeeps. Not that they feel like a Jeep, but that they feel like nothing else on the road because they always had that weird, funky, super old school, all the time, all wheel drive system. They rode and they drove and they handled a very specific way. It's, Subarus feel only like Subarus. Now that they've moved over to this new disconnecting torque vectoring, usually front-wheel drive system, it feels just like any other normal car for most of Subaru's stuff. If you get a manual transmission in the Outback or the XV Crosstrek, though, you get the old-school, all-time, all-wheel drive system, and they feel like old Subarus again. And the XV Crosstrek is the perfect size. It's got the same ground clearance as a Wrangler Sport. It's like 8.8 inches or something ridiculous like that. It is just a funky little chunky off-road monster, and it's amazing. Everyone should go buy one. I like that car a lot, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you drove it and that you really liked it. So that's that's comforting to me because I, I was really wanting to like that car very much. That's I was it. super worried about it because I hated the Impreza so much, and it's Impreza yeah. based. It is entirely. It feels entirely different. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, that that's good to know. Um. So that's that's three cars. We need we need two more. Oh, man, I'm drawing a complete blank here. Five. Yeah, I guess I'm the only one that cares about three pedals in this group. Fiat 500 convertible. Terrible, terrible, terrible car. Simple looking. I think you need to hand your man card over on that one. No, no, no. (laughs) It is. It is a terrible car. It is so underpowered. Like literally, I had to squeal tires, like hitting the rev limiter in first gear, to do a rolling start on a steep hill. That low powered. But because of that, everywhere you go. You are like hitting the rev limiter, like oh, you're like ten tenths, ten yeah. tenths going to get the mill. Basically, like seriously, everywhere you go, the car, and the tires are like super thin, and it understeers like a pig everywhere you go. So the tires are constantly squealing, and it's just that's that that's it. You are going 25 miles an hour to church, hitting the rev limiter, squealing around every corner. That's what it is. And because it has that sort of half-ass convertible top that's not really a convertible top... I hate that con- top. 
<laughs> I love it because you can raise and lower it up to 60 miles an hour. Because most like the the 370Z convertible, dead freaking stop to raise and lower that top, and it takes 22 seconds. If it's gonna, if it even looks like it's gonna rain, I'm not gonna drop that top because in the middle of a downpour, 22 seconds is a long ass time to put a top up. Yeah. But with that Fiat, you could do it while you're moving on the highway. Like 60 miles an hour, if you're on the interstate, you slow down just slightly. You're still going faster than all the semi-trucks, and you can raise and lower your top. It's freaking brilliant. It's a terrible car. The interior is shit. It's way too expensive. But for something stupid to have fun with with no roof, it's awesome. (laughs) And this doesn't fit into our category because it's a hot hatch, but you can get the apart version of that. (laughs) All that noise. I still have an issue with that top. That's more of like a glorified cheapskate. It's a target. Uh, moonroof. It's a target. <laughs> I mean, it's it goes all the way back behind the rear seat. So calling it a moonroof or calling it a target top is a little weird. But yeah, you still have the sides. So yeah, I mean, it's, convertible's weird too. <laughs> well, well, but it's more convertible than it is target top because you have way so a T top or a moonroof or even a target top. There is more roof than there is open space when you're done. This does not have that. There's way less roof than anything else. Yeah. It's definitely not a T-top. What? Yeah, no, it's definitely not a T-top. It's no, not that would be hilarious. The T-top C, and it just has two little panels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can you guys give me one more car? We need one more. Uh, Oh, one more manual non-sports car. Uh, Nissan Versa. Fine, I said it. There you go. Okay, one that's one that's not terrible. <laughs> the Nissan Versa ass. No, no, no. It's <laughs> just in, kidding. I don't it's, know. It's in the Nissan family. You guys can do this. But the not the Altima. Altima doesn't come in five speed. No, um, the Juke. Oh. The Juke comes five speed. You can get a Juke with with a manual, yeah. Oh, I didn't think it came with a manual. That's yep, kind of sporty, though. Yeah, it's, well, it's but it's not a hot hatch yeah. at, at all. Because you can only get the front-wheel drive version with the manual. No all-wheel drive. You can't get the Nismo one with the manual, I don't think. It's, it's just like 180 horsepower out of that little tiny 1.6 turbo. Uh, fun, funky little car. Looks interesting as hell. I think it's ugly, but a lot of people like it. Um, yeah, there you go. Handles semi decently. The engine's a peach. That little 1.6 is a pretty nice, nice little engine. So there you go. So we got 500 uh, convertible, which is terrible but awesome. We have the Juke, which looks terrible but is awesome. Uh, we have my Golf TDI, which is just awesome in every way, and everyone should buy a thousand of them. Uh, we got the Kia, and then we have the uh, out or the uh, X, the XV Crosstrek from Subaru. Yeah, love that so, car. There we go. Our five non-sports cars with the manual transmission, and they're all under twenty-five thousand. Some of them are barely. I, I think if you get the upgraded Outback, it's like twenty-three-five, and the diesel Golf starts at like twenty-four-six. Yeah, the Forte but, SX is pushing it to it's like twenty-four and change. But so there you go. Um, all right. Uh, my next one I really enjoy, but going for five is going to be kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna just try and narrow this down and pick one a piece, and then maybe grab one more after that. Um, Witty Derek says another entertaining podcast. Thank you, uh, Witty Derek. And he says he loves sci-fi movies. His question for us is, what are our top five cars from sci-fi movies? Oof, good one. Um, okay, I'm gonna. And no, be... the Millennium Falcon doesn't count. 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to have to say uh, there are two choices. I'll go with the less common one. I'm going to say the uh, the automatic driving, all computerized uh, car, police cars from uh, Demolition Man. That's a solid, solid choice. Yeah, I mean, when you run into something like the airbags or that foam that fills up the entire car. And <laughs> yeah, it's unchangeable. It crashes it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's, that's a good choice. All right. Mr. Mark, do you have one for us? I'm going to go, well, it's not a movie. It's a series. I'm going to go with Kit from Knight Rider. Uh, okay. You know what? I'll give that sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's close enough. How about you, Joe? Is there any reason you chose Kit? I just because that's the first one that comes to mind, and it's got oh. the cool little thing, and it's Mr. McFeeny doing the voiceover. I <laughs> never noticed that. Holy crap! You're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I have to go watch Boy Meets World and be like, it's Kit. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm gonna choose another slightly uh, obscure one here to go with this list, um, and that is the Probe 16. Which, if you don't know what the Probe 16 is, I think they only made, like, five of them. Super rare, low-volume British sports car, and it was in Clockwork Orange. Which, if you've never seen that movie, probably don't, because it'll scar your brain for life. But at the same time, it's really awesome to watch, even though it's terrible to watch. If that makes any sense. Is that People... built off a Corvette? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, th I think it's, like, a completely or mostly original car. Um, but it, anyone who's seen Clockwork Orange will know what I mean by it's like the best and worst movie, and it'll mess with things. But once things are messed with, it's cool. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking at a picture of that car right now, and you win. It's, isn't that a super cool car? <laughs> awesome. It's so weird. Yeah, everyone, so cool. go go Google right now. Probe sixteen. And wow, that is awesome. It they they run. You could buy one and you could drive it. Yeah, they have it for sale on eBay. So, hey, they have one on eBay? At least I saw one. Let me, let me pull back up again here. Might be a clone, not the original one. Uh, could be. Let me see. Was That's it so strange. Oh, no, it's not eBay. Oh, no, it's a list of known probes. Okay. There we go. So, yeah, there are very few of these in existence. Um, the one that was actually used in Clockwork Orange was featured on Top Gear a dozen years ago, it seems. Uh probably way back in 2005 or six, It was one of their call-in with the number to pick a car that we're going to restore cars. It was one of one of those. Um, I think it's a cool car. Um, I'm really excited that none of you guys picked uh, the DeLorean. Yeah, well, I'm... I'm How did I miss that? I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more. It is from Back to the Future. It is from Back to the Future, mm -hmm. but it's not the DeLorean. It is the Ford Probe that is in the background of Back to the Future. You have to search Ford Probe from Back to the Future, and you'll see it. It's about the only Ford Probe, because when you said Probe, I'm like, ah, aha, I remember another one. If you Google that, Ford Probe from Back to the Future, it is the only cool-looking probe I've ever seen in my life. Uh, well, I'm going to have oh, to Google yeah. that in a okay. little bit. It's uh, blacked out and everything? Yeah, it's all blacked out, all aerodynamic. You can't see. You can barely see the wheels. The ground effects are all the way down to the ground. It's actually kind of oh. cool-looking. Back to the Future Ford Probe. Yep. Um, whoa! Well, look at that! <laughs> yeah, they, it looks like they took a regular Ford Probe and they put plastic over the wheels and uh, looks like a um, back hatch off a Corvette C4 uh -huh. and they just put it over the hood and the windshield. and. Yeah, it's super wonky. That's yeah, when, you, when you see it, 
when you see it like still in a picture, you can see all the horrible, horrible body work, but in passing in a movie, it actually looked relatively decent. All right. That's really funny. Um, so there we go. We actually ended up with five if you count the DeLorean, even though we were going to try and cut it down to three because I thought this would be really hard. Um, yay! <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. Uh, Tunny wants to know, I have a question for you guys. If you had a $75,000 budget, what cars or car, new or used, would you buy as the only cars you could ever have from now until the end of forever? I already know my answer. Oh, I know my answer. Mine's easy. Okay, go. CTSV wagon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the new M3, because I think that comes just under 70. Oh, well, I'm going to go a completely different route from all of that, and um, I'm going to buy a brand-new Mark 7 Golf TDI. That'll be 25 grand. That leaves me 50 grand left over. Uh, I would also buy a Subaru Outback XT because it's a Subaru Outback with a freaking WRX engine. That's about 10 grand, so that leaves me with 40 grand. And then I would take the other 40 grand and I would spend 15 grand on a garage and I would spend the last 15 grand on every classic car I could find. So I'd buy another Ford like the one I've got. I'd buy another 9944. Uh, I'd like to have a really old sort of rusted out Corvette and maybe an old Nova. Wow. <laughs> Someone's thought about this a little much. Yeah, really. I do this a lot. <laughs> like, the other day, I was reading a piece somewhere. It might have been on Jalopnik. Some guy was talking about how being a car guy sucks. Like, that was that was pieces. Being, being a car guy is terrible because nobody likes you. You're boring at parties. Um, if you have a car that's modified, every idiot with a modified car tries to race you. Like, like all of these things. And then, he's, and then at the end, he's like, and how do you tell if you actually have an obsession? If anyone ever asked you... If you could have your dream garage, but no house, you had to live in your dream garage, would that be okay? If you have to think about it, then you don't belong here. If the only thing you ask is, how small is the futon, this is where you belong. And, and like, I thought about that, and I'm like, I would totally be 100% fine living in a sweet-ass garage with like a mini-fridge and a couch to sleep on. I would be totally okay with that. As long as I had my desk and my internet that I could do my job, 15 cars and my couch... I'm golden. I can, yeah, I, I can see that. <clears throat> yep. I, I can live with that, but I have the thing of a family following me around. So. Right. As a single yeah. guy, absolutely. No problem well, at all. I don't have a family. Well, I have a wife and lots of animals. But, like, if I had kids, I'd just buy the 18 van from my garage and turn their 18 van into a bedroom. Boom. Done. <laughs> All right, we have one more question, but I actually want to spend a fair amount of time on it. So, listeners, here's what we're going to do. Um, the last question is, uh, we have Darren007, who is asking about an entry-level performance car. He's got a small budget, 27 to 30 grand, and he wants to know what, what would be the top three cars from each of us he could get for this amount of money. But we're going to skip that for now, because we're right at our hour time, time limit. So what I want to do is do own, drive, burn, and we'll semi-officially end the show... And if you are really interested in knowing about these cars, you can stick around after that and hang out with us, and we'll go through what we think would be great performance cars in this sort of price range, all right? So so, so that's kind of how we're going to swing this, because this is a question that deserves some time, but I don't want to make all you guys sit through it if you're done with our show. We're at our hour mark. We're trying to keep it within an hour, so, so that's how we're going to kind of roll things. So um, our own drive burn is from the most hateful human being in the entire universe, and um, I hope they stub their toe. But uh, we have to decide between a C1 Corvette, 
a C6ZR1 or a brand new C7Z06. And since the ZR1 and the Z06 are fairly specific, I'm going to go ahead and cut our C1 down to the original 1953 Corvette. All right, Justin, you can go first. Well, I would want... Oh, my God. Um, I guess I want to own the original Corvette just because uh, they're so rare and they were... They, they weren't crappy, but they were kind of underpowered. They were V6s, and they kind of no, stand out. No, straight six. Straight six. Oh, yeah, straight six. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, and they just kind of they stray from every other Corvette. Like, they're not like any other generation Corvette. You can't look at a C1 Corvette, of uh, 1953 Corvette, the original, and look at any other Corvette in the line and say, oh, yeah, that's the same car. You just can't do that. But from C2 on, you can look and say, it's the same car. Um in the, the drive and burn. I would want to drive, I guess, the ZR1. No, no, no. I'm going to drive the C7 Z06 just because I want to drive a Z06. Or, I'm sorry, a C7. It's just an awesome car. I want to drive it. I haven't gotten a chance to yet. And just by default, i got to burn the ZR1. Um, as much as I hate to do it and I want to just jump off a bridge instead of burn it, I guess I have to. I'll burn it. No reason. Just I have to default. Yep. You have to burn one of them. Well, so so that was sort of. Uh, I I spent a fair bit of time thinking about this uh, last last night. I couldn't sleep last night and I was up late. So I'm like I was really putting some thought into this. And originally I was going to drive the C1, burn the Z burn the ZR1, and then keep the C7. But I just. For me, Corvettes. I mean, Corvettes are the reason I'm in this job now. My first, like everyone has that moment that turned them into a car guy, and my moment was with a Corvette. It was with a C, it was with a, a C3, but but that is my moment. My car life revolves around Corvettes, and that's what I want. And and that's like my my inner me is a little Corvette kid, and um, it's it's Genesis. It's the crazy weird straight six. It has no roof. It has no windows. It only came with a two speed automatic. Like. It's the most awkward, bonkers car in the world, but I love it. It only came in red with a sorry. It only came in white with white. a red, white with a red interior. There's only I think 350 of them were made. Only like 325 of them still survive, and it's not fast. It's not sporty, but I could think of nothing more awesome than like I have. To, I just have to go to UPS to ship something. And this is what I have to go in because this is the only car I can drive for the rest of my life. You know, going to get married, like how many people would kill to have that as their wedding car? Cans trailing behind it, you know, little just got married written on the on the front window or, or whatever. Like it, everything about it just seems awesome to me. Like every experience I've ever had in, in life, if I stop and think, would that experience have been better with this car? The answer is yes. And I can't quite say the same about the other two. Like my life would have been more awesome and way more fast with a with with a Z06, but it might have also been more backwards, more on fire. <laughs> um, the C1 is just wonderful and amazing. Um, and then yeah, I'm gonna end up with the same position that Justin did, where just by default, uh, because of the new supercharged engine that's in the new C C7 and the improved interior and the improved aero work, the fact that it's basically a C7 race car. I would drive the C7 Z06, I would keep a C1, and I would set the torch to the old supercharged Corvette, the C6 ZR1. Mark? Well, I guess I, yeah, I'm going to have to be the third person to burn the ZR1, and, and my thought was it's, it's a sad day for the engine, 
but the interior, not so much. Um, the C6 didn't really have that great of an interior, even all the way up into the later years. But um, for me, I'm going to swap uh, from your choice, uh, Christian. I'm going to go. <clears throat> I'm going to go with driving the the C7 Z06 every day, and then driving the C1 once. You know, just to get the historical feel for it, um, to understand the Corvette's beginnings. Uh, but then the C7, you know, it's an everyday car. You can live with it. And you can also hit sixty in like three seconds and smoke everyone else. So he's so fast, so fast. <laughs> a third of the time it takes to hit sixty in the C1. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something like that. it was. It was like ten point six seconds or something ridiculous. It's like a tenth of the time it takes. <laughs> all right. Well, so again, uh, all of you normal listeners, that's basically our show. Um, if you're interested, stick around after the outro music, and we've got. One more big question we're going to spend a little bit of time on, and that is going to be uh, we're all going to pick a car or two for a 30000 or less performance buy if you guys are looking for a newer used, used car. Um, but otherwise, we thank you for listening. We really appreciate everyone coming by and listening to us chat at, at each other for an hour or so. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, please, we appreciate all feedback, all questions, comments, concerns. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at Top Speed Podcast. Uh, you can reach us by email, podcast at topspeed.com. Or you can always hit us up in the comments on the Top Speed web- website or on the YouTube video if you're watching the YouTube video. If you're watching YouTube, hi, thank you. I like, you know, I cleaned up the wall for you. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be mostly barren, and it gave me a good excuse to put up all my office stuff. Um, so, uh, again, I'm Christian Mo. You can find me on Twitter if you want to speak to me directly, at Moford. That's M-O-E-F-E-R-D. Justin Coupler is the car junkie, and Mark McNabb is at Mark McNabb. Uh, we appreciate all of all of you guys, and we'll see you next Thursday. Don't forget, if you want to, hang around after the, the outro music, and we'll have a little bit of a chat for you. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys for sticking around with us. This is the topspeed.com podcast after hours. Get your turn, on, turn on your Marvin Gaye, grab your glass of cognac, and sit back and relax with us while we spend maybe maybe t- Oh god. No, don't start with the music, guys. I lied, no Marvin Gaye. I lied. Hey, cognac? Dude, I have like Pabst Blue Ribbon. Is that okay? <laughs> that fits you so well. <laughs> Yeah, you, and that, you and that terrible Steelers hat. Hi, hey, where's my beer? Get my damn sandwich while you're in. Fight me a sandwich. We are doing this one quick after hours little or after after show thing to cover a question uh, for Darren007. We're doing this because this question is too good to just skimp over really quick in the sake of time. So we're going to spend another 10 or 12 minutes here on just this question. Um, uh, if you're missed for some reason the other show and you just managed to show up at the end for this bit, well, welcome, but kind of strange. Um, but Darren007's question is, uh, he says he's thinking about getting an entry-level per- performance car. He has a smaller budget, about 27000 29000 which I wouldn't say is quite that small of a budget. No, but um, he says, what do we think would be the top three cars he could get for that amount of money? Uh, Justin, would you like to go first? Yeah, um, I'm kind of torn between a few. I'm, I'm looking at them here, and there's there's three really good options. Uh, two of them you see pretty much everywhere, so I eliminated those uh, just now, actually. As we're speaking, I eliminated them. I'm going to say... Um, what are those two? 
the Camaro, the base Camaro, oh. and the 370Z Coupe. Okay. Um, those two you see a little bit too much of. One you don't see quite as much of, um, and I might get torn up for this one, but so be it, is the Hyundai Genesis Coupe. I like that um, car. They're much cheaper. Uh, you can actually get the base Genesis Coupe 2.0T for, I think, 26000 um, you know, 274 horsepower, 0 to 60, and I think it's the mid-sixes. I don't have the specs in front of me. Um, and you can even bump up to, say, the – I think you can get up to the 3.8, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and still yeah. be in that same price range. Yeah, yeah. When, that car, when that car first came out, I drove one. I drove the uh, the Turbo. It was really nice. I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, it felt really good. The size is good. Um, and now even uh, – you know, as Hyundai has kind of increased their or improved their their quality of the interiors, the car is a lot better. Uh, I would that's a, that's a really solid choice. It really is, and I think it's a good competitor to like the BRZ or FRS. Yeah, um, I mean, you don't see it yeah. anymore. That's another big thing. You don't not every corner you turning and saying, "Oh, oh damn, that's the same car I have." Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so no, it's a solid choice. Um. Obviously, the one everyone's going to expect to hear uh, are Miata, BRZ, FRS. Um, those we're not really going to include those in, in this talk because, like again, those are the really main, really obvious choices. Um, one car I think people don't quite think about when they're thinking a really good performance car is actually a Mustang GT. Uh, the new one with the with with a 5.0, you can find one, you know, that's coming back on on a lease now. It's about that time, so you've got one that's two or three years years old coming back on a lease. Um, you can get those for about 20, 26 grand, um, and those are actually really solid cars. It does yeah. have a live rear axle, but they handle well. They've got plenty of power, and you can get one with with a, a six-speed manual. And I'm sorry, those Ford, whoever designs their exhausts, they need like a Nobel Peace Prize. Those oh, engines yeah. sound so good, like a no million dollars. Oh yes, yeah. just that five O especially is yeah. such a meaty sounding engine. Yeah. Um, but actually, if this were if, if if this were my money, if I actually had this money right now to go buy a car, I would be looking at one of two cars. I would either be looking at a nice used Boxster or at an M3. Uh, if you look, you can find an E90, uh, one of the like first year, what is it, like 2009 or 2008. You can find some of the higher mileage e E90s for right about thirty grand, but you can find an E46 all day for twenty five grand in solid, solid condition. And then anytime anything breaks, you take it to the dealer, and it's to fifteen hundred. Uh huh. That's what I was just gonna say. Couldn't care less. E46 BMW, and actually for the Porsche, nothing will break. The Boxster and the and the, the nine eleven both have been rated most reliable cars by Edmunds or one of those groups like many years in, in a row. They've won tons of those awards. They're basically bulletproof. Yes, you can't fix anything on them yourself and that sucks, but they are basically bullet bulletproof. So like I would have no problem finding like a two thousand four or two thousand five Boxster S for twenty five grand, you know, 89,000, 80, 90, 90,000 miles on it, I'd put another 100,000 100, miles on it thing easy and not really worry about any anything breaking. I'd go with the three-year-old uh, GT. I mean, if you're going for cheapest maintenance, potential costs in the end, or maybe more, most horsepower, you really can't beat that. But seriously, E46 M3 is an E46 M3. True. You know? 
I don't know. I have a serious issue with buying performance cars second or third hand. Because you don't know how bad someone flaunted. No matter how well they built that Porsche Boxster, if someone had their foot through the, well, I guess and I can't say foot in the fan, their foot in the trunk. Um, the frunk. Yeah, in the frunk, <laughs> yeah. They had their foot in the frunk. I mean, if they had it up there all the time, it's going to break. And when you hit 100,000 miles and that Porsche Boxster breaks, you're going to be dumping, like like Mark said, 1500 bucks on anything. And screw a BMW, that's even worse. I mean, I worked in shops. I know how much it costs to fix those things. It is outrageous. Right. Well, but I mean, like, like with any used car, there has to be due, due, due diligence. The thing, now, it's going to be worse when it gets to be second or third hand. But, like, the first new owner, if, if you're the second owner of an E46 that's clean, because a lot of people who are not enthusiasts buy M3s because of that badge. I can, especially here in Knoxville, I can tell you, and it's going to sound sexist, but it's not meant to be, but most of them are women. There are a lot of women that have these cars because they're the pretty expensive version of the BMW, and they go fast, even though they never drive them fast. That's what they want. They want that badge. They want that cachet that comes with that. And it sounds terrible, but the same thing with a Porsche Boxer. A Porsche Boxer is a girl's car, like the like the Miata. A lot of women buy these cars. And if you're a second owner, if you find some woman who bought a Porsche Boxer and she's had it for five years and she's ready to go get her new car, like that thing is not going to have been beaten. It, not not a, not at all. I mean, granted, there's a good chance you might be stuck with an automatic version, but <laughs> chances are that car has not been beaten on. And I think that's a pretty solid buy. I mean, yeah, I'm never going to buy anything that's been modified or lowered because you have no idea who did that, and that means that car has been beaten on. But, again, if you're a second owner, I really don't see anything too bad about it. Yeah, it still scares me. I don't know. That's... <laughs> Just know what you're getting into going in. Um, speaking of knowing what you're getting into going in, I can promise you whoever owned it, this has been beaten. But uh, for, like, 25 grand usually less, you could get a Rex. Like, you could buy a brand new Rex for, like, 26 but uh, you could buy a nice used WRX uh, for, you know, 20, 23 grand. We're talking about, like, a 2013, 20, 2012. Like, not very old. Um, in fact, let's hop on eBay real quick. Uh, right here, I've got a 2013 WRX, uh, $20,100 is where the bid is at now. It's got 17,000 miles on it. Um, the Oh, never mind. That one's forty-five grand, but that's a special edition pumpkin orange one. Mm. But like, I mean, you can for for under thirty thirty grand, you could find low mileage WRXs like under fifteen thousand miles, but still under fifteen thousand miles have probably been beaten on. So just be careful yeah. about that. And you know, I th I think this raises a whole other topic too. <clears throat> Searching for what car you're going to buy, that's number one. Now that you know what you're going to buy, find what brakes on it when it breaks, and whatever car you find in, in the physical form, see if it's already had those repairs made. Mm -hmm. Always take your car to a mechanic. You know, Always. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter if your friend owned it. Just drop it by the mechanic. Hey, Bob, take a look at it. Let me see what you think. Go into the car with him You know, so you know you're, you're getting a fair deal. Um, make sure it's not broken. You know, make sure it's not two cars welded together and, you know, the engine's mount's not going to rust off or something like that. I mean, that's that's the main thing is making sure the car is in physical good condition before you drop money on it, especially secondhand. 
Yeah, um, and I, I love what you mentioned about it being a friend's car. Just because it's a friend's car, there might be things that he doesn't know that are broken or that are about to break. Yeah. If 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 you crawl under it and you notice the head gaskets are just starting to leak or you notice that the motor mounts are starting to look bad, like that might not be something that's affecting him right now, but it's something that will need to be replaced soon. So, yeah, just because you're buying it from a friend and tell him straight up, like, I'm not doing this because I don't trust you. I just this is why I'm, do, I'm just going to take it to a mechanic period, and that's definitely solid. Always, always do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And never yeah, use Western Union! <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think shops will charge like 50 to 75 bucks to do a full inspection, and you know, that's, that's all you need to, to check the major stuff, you know, to make sure there's nothing falling off the car. Um, of course, they don't have x-ray vision, so they can't say, ooh, your, your, your piston rings are a little bit weak. They can't tell you that, but they're going to tell you, you know, if the thing's been maintained or not. It's easy to tell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, another one of those stretch cars because you, you you said your limit's like twenty nine thousand. Um, you can find them for this much. It's a little more difficult. They're usually about thirty two, but uh, you can actually get a C six Corvette now for about the thirty grand range. Hmm. Um. Oh, here's one. A base uh, coupe with a manual. It's a two thousand five with forty thousand miles on it. Buy it now, twenty six grand. And it's C six. Yep, C six. There you go. 2005 was the first year of the C6. So, I mean, if if you want it, there are a lot of really good choices out there. Again, if yeah. it was my money, I would seriously be staring at a Boxster. I would be looking at a Boxster real, real hard. I don't think you can get a Cayman for that price yet. No, probably not. Yeah. That's what the Ian Bays say. Those were, those were new in, what, 2010? Uh, no, 2007, Eight? I think, was the first really? year. 2007, 2008. Um. Yeah, that one's thirty-five grand. That one's thirty-four grand. Oh, hang on. There's twenty-three thousand here. Twenty-three thousand. Buy it now. On a Cayman. Yeah. yeah. Two thousand and seven for with fifty-six thousand miles. Yeah. Is it water damaged? Uh that's what I'm looking right now. Um, no warranty. <laughs> salvage title. Uh, um, ooh, I found it. Uh, two thousand seven with only twelve thousand miles on it. It's thirty-two or best offer. So you could maybe squeeze that down to thirty. Yeah, this this doesn't say there's anything wrong with it that I can see, but then again, you never know about eBay. Oh, oof, never mind. Yeesh. Salvage yeah, someone, title. Not salvage title. Looks like someone just didn't give a good damn about this car. I mean, oh. the buttons are all worn out, and yeah, it looks like one of those cars that probably has a little bit more mileage than it actually says. And there are ways to do that. I'm not going to tell you, but <laughs> yeah, this one it says has 56,000 miles, but probably has more like 156,000. Oh, yeah. Again, due diligence. Um, ooh, here's a blue one. Uh, it's in Raleigh. Uh oh. <laughs> That's only a few hours away. Nice. It's a 2007 with 45,300 miles on it. It's at a used car dealer called Camden Autosports, and they want 29,000. Buy it now, or or make make an offer. Um, let's see, it is blue exterior, gray interior. Uh, it's a manual transmission. It's a fairly base car, um, so it's just got the 2.7 in it. Uh, really, the S model, especially for the for the Cayman, is the way to go. But this has a lot of the great options. It's got the HID head headlamps, the uh, active brake differential. Solid little car, actually. It's a five-speed manual. Oh, that's really good for twenty-nine grand. 
Okay, listen here. I was trying to help you, Mr. Darren, and now you're being a jerk and making me want to buy cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm finding I'm finding a bunch of Ford Mustangs here too. I found one buy it now for twenty seven nine. That's oh. uh, two thousand eleven. It's got hey, the so, in it. Well, yeah. So it's hang a, on. I just found a 2006 Cayman S, 28,900 bucks. Ooh, it's so it, good. It is in Ohio, Bedford, Ohio, at a used car dealership. What the hell is it doing in Ohio? I do not know, <laughs> but it actually, the thing is, here's the deal. If you're willing to travel, you can get these kind of cars for cheaper up north because people can't drive them in the wintertime. Yeah. So when it comes to wintertime, they're like, ah, oh, crap, I got this expensive car. It's fun. I can't drive it. So then they turn around and sell them for something all-wheel drive, and they sell them for cheap. And either this that, one looks to be in good shape. Yeah, either that or they did drive it in the winter, and now it's, it's rusted. rusted. <laughs> That's the other issue you have to look out for. But this one looks like it's in good shape, 42,000 miles. Well, really, um, for the most part, anything made after 2,000, you shouldn't have any rust, rust issues out of. And most cars uh, come with, like, uh, 10 year rust warranties or lifetime and like a hundred thousand mile rust rust warranty. So if it has less than a hundred hundred thousand miles and it's rusted, you can take it to the to the dealer and they will fix that for you. Yeah. It's covered it's covered under 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 warranty. So there you go. Top tip. <laughs> top speed top tip. Twenty five grand right here for a twenty eleven Mustang with a V eight. Mmm, see so good. So good. So many options. Now, see, he just needs to give us the money. Thirty-eight thousand Thirty-eight thousand, and a manual transmission. Ooh. And some now, now I'm drooling. I'm staring at this Cayman S like it's a. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I, it's just yeah, right. Oh, so good. All right, so I'm gonna be driving a Mustang. Justin's going to be driving whatever he's driving, and, and you're going to be driving a Boxster. Or a Cayman, maybe. Or a Cayman. See? Oh, I'm going to stick with a, oh. stick with a Lexus in the driveway. Oh, man, there's a 2002 M3. They only want twelve grand for it. It's got 80,000 miles on it. Like, you could buy... Okay, you're worried about the cost, right? You could buy three of those almost for his budget. So when the first one breaks, you just sell it to somebody <laughs> and drive your second one. And as you're driving the one that's not broken, the other one sits there and things just start falling off of it. It's a donor car. <laughs> no, no, no. So you sell the first one that breaks and you drive the second one. And then when the second one breaks, you sell it and you drive the third one. And then when the third one breaks, you sell it, and you've got money from all three cars. There's more than enough to buy a fourth one. <laughs> but the problem is, what happens? Well, Christian, you know what happens when you let a car sit. Well, yeah, but okay, fine. You just drive. You drive one Monday, Tuesday. Drive one Alternate. Tuesday, Wednesday. Drive one Thursday. <laughs> you just this, this is this is my every other day car. This is my Friday car, and these are my Saturday Sunday cars. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, that one's twenty five grand. It's only got twenty one thousand miles on it, and it's red. Okay, thanks, Darren. Double O seven. You now have Christian officially <laughs> distracted. 
I am not going to get anything. He is covered. useless for the rest of the day. He's going to be scouring eBay trying to find ten thousand dollar M threes. Thank you. Or Craigslist. I didn't even bother looking on Craigslist yet because every time I get on Craigslist, I have killed four hours of my day. All right. Anyways, uh, thank you for everyone who's tuned into our little after extra special thing. Um, we want to thank everyone. Again, this is the topspeed.com podcast. We were looking for great small performance budget cars, 27, 29,000. Um, if you're going to buy new, there's uh, there's the obvious ones of like the Miata or the FRS or the BRZ. Um, for my money, I'd get the Miata. Um, if you're really good at negotiating, you may be able to swing a V8 Camaro or I mean a V8 Mustang for that price, but it'll be iffy. Um, for used, yeah, um, I would pick a nice Boxster. If you can find a Cayman, get a Cayman for that price. Um, preferably go with Boxster because you can get the Boxster S. Uh, Mark's choice for this would be the 5.0 Mustang GT, so 2011 or newer. Uh, and Justin, what's your final choice for us? Uh, Hyundai Genesis, if you're going new, if you're going to go used, I managed to dig up that Cayman S for just under 29 all right. So there you go, Darren. Uh, thank you for sending in the question. Thank you again, everyone else, for listening to our extra little bit. Um, you're the cool kids, and we love you. Again, if you want to reach us or whatever, if you want to, if you have a question you want us to answer, you can reach us on Twitter at TopSpeedPodcast. You can reach us on email, podcast at TopSpeed.com, or you can just hit us up in the comments where you guys have been. Um, this is it. We're signing off. We will see you next Thursday. Thank you, guys. We love all of you. We'll see you next week. Peace and blessings. <laughs>